Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBersier. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store over on Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers. Before we get into the episode, we wanted to say a quick happy new year and also to say thank you so much for all of your support in 2021. It really, really means so much to us. And if you've ever listened to the podcast, ordered from our shop, retweeted us, liked anything on Instagram, like literally anything, we we just love you so much and appreciate you. Yeah, we get like really excited about literally every little thing that you like send to us or like messages. It's so nice. And yeah, thank you all so much. Yeah. And we're also really excited for the episodes we have coming up in 2022. So We really hope you'll stick around. We have a lot of guests lined up that we're really pumped for. It's going to be so awesome. I'm so excited. It's going to be a big year and we're going to have our 100th episode. And yeah, we have like some special ideas. So definitely stay stay tuned. tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Jinx. (laughs) I got to talk for the rest of the episode. So we're kind of screwed here. (laughs) Without a soda. I'll read it. Um, The other thing we wanted to mention was Spotify now has the ability to rate your podcasts on like five stars or star scale. So if you want to go on over, if you're listening to us on Spotify, please definitely go rate us. You don't have to write a review, which is kind of nice, I guess, if people just want to throw in a quick review there. Helps us go up in the charts. So we super appreciate that. Um, I'm not sure if you can do it on the desktop version of Spotify. Uh, So if you're on desktop, I don't think you can do it, so. Yeah, but definitely just take a take a quick sec if you're listening to us on Spotify to leave us a rating. We would really, really appreciate it. Great. So this week, Olivia is going to be talking about the Dimitrodon. Dimitrodon? Okay, I always pronounced it Dimitrodon, but everything I watched and read was like, Dim- wait, Dime- Dimetrodon. Dimetrodon. So... I'll try and pronounce it that way. I, I might throw in a couple Dimetrodons just to, or dip. Uh, I can't even remember what the correct <laughs> one is now. Dimetrodon. <laughs> Dimetrodon. We can do this. So yeah, the Dimetrodon, <laughs> which I think will be great because, yeah, we realized we haven't done a fossil for quite a while. It's been a lot of insects, like marine stuff and birds. So yeah, <laughs> which are dinosaurs i guess but then spoiler alert dimetrodon's not a dinosaur i guess so anyway we'll get into it but yeah i'm excited yeah major spoiler there sophia (laughs) sorry i I I thought i was supposed to do those okay (laughs) anyway yes (laughs) dimetrodon is like this classic dinosaur not a dinosaur that you might be familiar with from toys or like books from childhood i know i am But as we get into it, yeah, not a dinosaur, but nevertheless, a very cool creature. Um, So yeah, let's talk about it. For sure. So first, let's see what Blathers has to say. So if you bring a Dimetrodon fossil to Blathers, he'll say, Ah, yes, Dimetrodon, not actually a dinosaur, despite what some people may tell you. This reptile, not dinosaur, is most famous for the large sail-like organ on its back. Said organ was likely useful in regulating its non-dinosaur body temperature. 
Reptiles are known to be cold-blooded, but there is some debate as to whether dinosaurs were too. Dimetrodon assuredly was. No! <laughs> Blathers! You're just, you're so wrong. I just can't even, it's going to take this whole episode to like dissect that and explain why Blathers is just wrong about everything. So don't listen to him. Is this the most wrong? I think this is like the most aggressively wrong he's ever been. Like upsettingly wrong. When I read that in your like notes for the episode that he was extremely wrong, I thought you were going to say that actually Dimetrodon is a dinosaur. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be like he would be completely wrong. No, but. like th- there were like some sprinkling of right things in there, but like I, I we'll get into it here. Like uh, I guess to start off, we should probably describe what Dimetrodon looked like. If, if you don't know what he looked like. So basically, like, imagine an iguana that's, like, really, like, on steroids, like, really big and chunky. And the iguana kind of holds itself up off the ground with its legs kind of below it, but also a little bit sprawled out like a lizard. It's not super certain, but probably wasn't dragging itself along the ground. Additionally, it had, like, this long, relatively skinny tail that looked kind of mammally. And then it's got, of course, this massive fancy fan on its back, this sail that's very iconic. So that's what you're imagining when we talk about Dimetrodon. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I now I keep being like, what was he wrong about? Like, does it not have the <laughs> sail? Or I don't know. Yeah. That's it's really creepy to think of like a reptile like thing with like a mammal tail. I don't it it feels like um I recently was re-watching the Amazing Spider-Man movies because, like, <laughs> the Andrew Garfield renaissance is so strong and like, it was beautiful. Okay, no spoilers. <laughs> for, for the Not Amazing on Andrew Sp- Garfield. <laughs> like, okay. not those movies. I'm just really scared of any Spider-Man talk these days because I haven't seen the new one yet. I haven't seen the new one either, so I, like, literally can't spoil it for you. Oh, but that's right. Just you haven't. That- okay. Sorry, just get, like, really, like aggressively nervous anytime it comes up because my brothers have seen it and they they spoil everything. So. Yeah. I don't want to be spoiled either, but I do. I just went over Christmas. I just went back to like relive whenever the first, you know, Amazing Spider-Man movies came out. And anyway, what I was going to say was that there's a part in the first movie with the the lizard, you know, and they're like when they're experimenting oh, yeah. with like adding the lizard genes to different like they're trying it on I can't remember if it was rats or mice, but like then they start turning into li- to you know like lizardy mice, <laughs> and it's so creepy. And this just that's kind of what I imagine when you said it has like a mammal tail. Like I was imagining like a rat tail oh, on a lizard. Okay, like, how creepy is that? I don't know. Yeah, I guess like maybe mammal tail is like not. Well, we don't really know. Like maybe maybe it was like a rat tail, probably not. But it was probably a little bit stiffer than that and like a little bit more muscular. But yeah, not like not like a T-Rex tail, probably. Well, I don't know. A lot of this is speculation. <laughs> we they can never know. They should reboot The Amazing Spider-Man. And like in The Amazing Spider-Man 3, Andrew Garfield goes to like the past in a time machine and he has to fight a Dimetrodon. I support that. Anything that brings Andrew Garfield on the screen. Yeah, support. (laughs) Okay, so getting back to why Blathers is wrong, why we're all here today. 
okay, like the main thing is that Dimetrodon was not a reptile. It wasn't a dinosaur either, but yeah, importantly, not a reptile. Dimetrodon is more closely related to you and I than to any dinosaur or any reptile. Just let that sink in. That's really bizarre. So what is it then? Is it a mammal? It is very confusing. So (laughs) let me start this by saying Dimetrodon is of a group called the synapsids. Uh, Just take that like sciencey little term, tuck it away for a moment while I explain it. Don't worry about it too much. So basically way back in like way back 315 million years ago, a group that could lay eggs on land called the amniotes began to take over and diversify. Basically, they could lay eggs on land. So they had this like leg up on all the amphibians and the fish and they could move into all these terrestrial terrestrial niches. Then around 310 million years ago, the amniotes started breaking into two groups. So these groups are one, the sauropsids, which included dinosaurs, birds, as well as reptiles, and the synapsids, which includes Dimetrodon and eventually the mammals. Now, synapsids were the first terrestrial megafauna, really, and very few of their lineages survived the great dying, which is something I'll get to later on. I won't get into the specifics of the difference between the synapsids and the sauropsids, but they basically refer to like bone structure in the skull. So that's the first thing that distinguishes Dimetrodon from dinosaurs. It's a synapsid, a whole different lineage from the reptiles. Now, Dimetrodon is also referred to as a stem mammal, which is probably an easier term to remember (laughs) than synapsid. Um, So they are the group that eventually led to all the mammals we see today. That is not to say that Dimetrodon is a direct relative of us. It probably wasn't. In fact, it almost certainly wasn't, but at least it sort of represents what our ancestors may have looked like. So sometimes these stem mammals are also called mammal-like reptiles, which is maybe what confused blathers, because it's not really a good term for what they are because it's still calling them reptiles. So we're going to stick to the term stem mammals. So I'm going to like give cut blathers a little slack here. Maybe he read the wrong confusing term, but yeah. So many of these stem mammal synapsids looked a lot like dinosaurs. They had this like reptilian way of sort of moving with those legs kind of a little bit sprawled out, possibly under them, hard to tell. Um, But their faces, they had these like very reptilian faces without the sort of like noses you'd see on like bears or dogs or even us um, with that cartilage. Although possibly they were sort of starting to get that cartilage. So we're seeing a lot of these like transitionary features. But they also didn't have like external ears like most mammals do today. So yeah, it looked very, very reptilian. Relatives of Dimetrodon could be like massive carnivores. They could also be multi-ton herbivores. They looked really weird and they were very diverse. I also need to take a moment to tell everyone that there was a synapsid stem mammal called Bulbasaurus. It's super cute. You got to look it up. I read it and I was like, that that has to be a mistake. Someone, someone made a mistake, but it's real. That is so cute. It's like, it's kind of like if like a French bulldog was a reptile looking thing. <laughs> it is. Oh my gosh. It's so cute. It's like, it is like the Pokemon, like Bulbasaur yeah. IRL. I love it. Oh, we should just do an episode on Bulbasaurus. 
It's really cute. It's so cute. I feel like the the paleo artist was very influenced by Bulbasaur. (laughs) They were like, let's make this adorable. It's amazing to me. Like you can really see, I think, with the Bulbasaurus, how this is like a sort of sort of reptile sort of mammal looking thing like it it kind of looks like a little like dog or like gopher or something but with like scaly skin and stuff it's, yeah it is it's weird it's cute but it's well, weird especially like paleo art that depicts it with fur because some of these synapsids these early synapsids like probably had fur and there's some evidence that some of the some of the species did so yeah, we're definitely in a weird transition phase here where you're getting like these dino mammal looking things. They honestly look like Harry Potter animals a lot yeah. of the time, like just totally fictional and strange. So what did Dimetrodon's world look like then? Like, were they living amongst dinosaurs and everything? Not yet. So Dimetrodon lived 295 to 272 million years ago. That was about 40 million years before dinosaurs even existed. It's a long, long time ago. At this time, Pangaea had just formed and the climate was changing as the landmass really was altered. The, The ocean suddenly was like around this huge chunk of land. And as you can imagine, like that really affected all the weather that you'd see in the center of this Pangaea supercontinent. Like the middle of Pangaea was a huge desert. But at this time, you still had coasts that were very lush and tropical. So Dimetrodon probably lived in a habitat that looked much like today's Everglades. Very lush, these like nice green plants everywhere, lots of water. So that would have been its habitat. And were they predators? Yes. In fact, it was probably one of the top predators of the time and one of the first fully terrestrial apex predators. So they hold that title, at least to what we currently know. Now, it may have eaten even other dimetrodons based on damaged bones we found um, where the tooth marks look like those made by other dimetrodons, but they would have also just been eating probably fish, other terrestrial animals at that time. It seems like they probably could have eaten a lot, a whole bunch of different things. They were really big. Like depending on the species, Dimetrodon could be between 6 to 15 feet long and between 60 to 550 pounds. And the smallest Dimetrodon was 60 centimeters or 24 inches long. So they could be little. But based on fossilized footprints of Dimetrodon, it looks like, as I mentioned before, it was holding itself up off the ground, contrary to like a lot of illustrations we see of it today. A lot of those older illustrations, it'll be sort of like dragging itself along the ground. But by holding itself upright, it was probably quite nimble and quick at catching prey. It also had a solid head with lots of space along its skull for jaw muscle attachment, suggesting that it probably had a very strong bite. And best of all, it had like these amazing sharp and serrated teeth. Dimetrodon's teeth are really kind of its star feature beyond like the very obvious sail on its back. Like its name literally means two measures of tooth, Dimetrodon. Before Dimetrodon, most animals had teeth that were very uniform throughout their mouth, as were dinosaurs eventually. But around this time, we start to see synapsids diversifying into different niches and evolving more. And then their teeth start to specialize for different purposes. In the case of Dimetrodon, they had incisor-like front teeth for grabbing and canine-like teeth for stabbing. In the back, you see teeth better for like shredding meat and flesh. 
And it would have also had teeth on the roof of its mouth to keep the prey from squirming around. And what's really neat about this tooth differentiation is that it's still something we see today in mammals 300 million years later. Like we have all these different kinds of teeth in our own mouths. So do our like pet dogs and cats. But things like reptiles, their teeth are pretty uniform all the way around. So obviously something about this adaptation really worked well for us and our ancestors. Wow, that's cool. I wish we had roof teeth. (laughs) (laughs) I would have liked to have had that adaptation. I don't know how it would be useful. It would just be be more stuff (laughs) for Toffee to get stuck in. And yeah, I don't think true. I need that in my life. More flossing. <laughs> yeah, more flossing. Oh, that makes me feel tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is Dimetrodon or Dimetrodon the name of like one species or are there multiple species? Dimetrodon is the genus. So there's about 12 recognized, I think there's over 12 recognized species of Dimetrodon currently. Most of them have been found in the southern states, in Texas and Oklahoma, but one species has been found in PEI Canada and another in Germany. What's interesting about the PEI specimen is that this jawbone of Dimetrodon was described in 1854, and it was originally called Bathignathus. A little, you know, about 20 years later, Dimetrodon was found and named, and then we found all these Dimetrodons after it, but... Recently, a paleontologist named Kristen Brink and her colleagues took another look at this thing called Bathignathus, and they realized that it was a Dimetrodon, which messes up the whole naming system for Dimetrodon because Bathignathus was first. So in the scientific tradition, that would mean having to like go back and rename everything that is initially called Dimetrodon into Bathignathus. So... It would have been like this really like tedious process, but luckily um, to save everyone trouble, they just were like, okay, Bathignathus is now Dimetrodon and we're just going to like not worry about it. Oh man, those are some hard names to say repeatedly. Yeah, I was going to say too, like I'm glad they didn't change the name because Bathignathus is like even worse. (laughs) I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right. Like it's the word bath with a Y and then G-N- like yeah. Gnathus. Yeah, maybe <laughs> yeah, terrible. the G's probably silent. Bath Bathignathus? Bath- I don't Gnath- know. I feel like there should be a g sound. Bathignathus. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. I do love PEI or Prince Edward Island if oh, people yeah. don't know. I should have said but- I should have just called it PEI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's so cool. I didn't know that uh, there are dinosaurs there, but of of course there are. Yeah, and it's really cool because this was like a brand new species of Dimetrodon and the first that we'd found in Canada. But another fun find in PEI were some amazing Dimetrodon footprints that were found recently on the island. And what's like really cool about these footprints when you look at a picture of them, I'll post them on our Instagram, is that they really, they look like human handprints. It's like a little freaky. (laughs) There's five toes and like one of them is a little shorter, like a thumb. It's it's really weird. Wow. So yeah, I'll post those so you can see. It's like, wow, look look at our like basically kind of ancestors. The head the hands like <laughs> us. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, I don't know. I feel like you were kind of hard on Blathers, or was he wrong about more than like Dimetrodon being reptiles? 
Did okay. He, did he mess up anything else? <laughs> he did. Oh, he did. Okay, we'll get back to it. So it's time to talk about the like iconic Dimetrodon sail. So this sail is made up of a series of spikes coming out of their spine. Now, Blather says that the purpose of the sail is to absorb heat and help these reptiles, quote, to heat up. But this is like, it's not an entirely bunk theory. In fact, it's been quite debated for a while. But basically, the idea is that when Dimetrodon was cold, it could face the sail to the sun and act like a little solar panel to heat itself up. And then if it got too hot, it could go into the shade where that large surface area would also be a good cooling mechanism. But from most of my readings, it seems like there's a lot of holes in this theory. Some of them are like thermodynamics related and kind of hard to hard to explain. But one of the the pieces of evidence they use to like debunk this is that if you look at the growth rate of the sail and the size of the Dimetrodon, it's like growing a sail that would be like too good at heating itself up. Like the the size of the sail wouldn't be proportionate to like how much energy it would actually need, like how much heat it would actually be requiring for its body weight. So it's almost like it, it would be expending too much energy on growing the sail to make evolutionary sense. Like animals don't want to expend more energy growing something than they need to. So if that was the purpose of the sail, then it it doesn't check out entirely. So yeah, that leaves the question, like why the sail? Like, Sophia, can you guess why would Dimetrodon have this massive fan on its back? I haven't quizzed you in a while, (laughs) so I wanted to do it. Well, when you said that they have to expend a lot of energy to grow it, I was definitely thinking about sexual selection because I feel like that is like such a strong force and that it's definitely something that causes animals to adapt and do things that like don't seem logical at all. So like that's illogical. Mm. Yeah, I would guess that it's like about attracting mates, but then it sounds like both like sexes would have it. So I don't know. That might be wrong. Yeah, that's my guess. No, you're right. Like that's what they think it is. Like it it seems like both the sexes will have it. There there is like maybe some evidence that the females will be a little bit smaller than the males. So there might be like some sexual dimorphism there. But yeah, it's probably for communication, for like the males to intimidate other males. And like, yeah, the display could be a communication mechanism of some kind between members of the species. So that's the current sort of guess. Again, like the the heating mechanism isn't completely debunked. It's still sort of, as far as I could tell, it's still like kind of being discussed and challenged and, and whatnot. So, but All of this sort of brings me to the last thing Blathers says that we have to contest, which is that Dimetrodon is undoubtedly cold-blooded, meaning that it needs external heat sources to warm itself. But the thing is, we don't know this for sure. It probably wasn't fully warm-blooded, but it showed some signs that it might be on the spectrum between cold and warm-blooded because those those aren't always completely black and white things especially for an animal that was like clearly in such transition. Well, I guess we shouldn't call it in transition. Like it was an animal. It was a species. Like evolution doesn't work. Is it like, oh, I'm taking my time. But, you know, it was like, yeah, it's showing features of like very, very old animals and the animals we see today. So it even had like evidence of having nasal cartilage and turbinates. We have nasal turbinates now, and and those help us warm air as we breathe in. And that's a very warm-blooded animal trait. So there is some evidence that 
yeah, maybe it had a little bit of warm-blooded qualities to it. That's so cool. I didn't really realize that there could be something in between cold and warm-blooded, but that totally makes sense. And I mean, same thing with like something not quite being a mammal and not quite being a reptile. Like I feel like when you learn biology in high school and stuff, and even, you know, early undergrad, it's very black and white. Like this is either a mammal or it isn't or it's a reptile or it isn't or it's cold or it's warm-blooded. But I feel like this is a nice reminder that things don't always comply with our (laughs) little boxes. Nature does not like to be categorized. Our categories are irrelevant. (laughs) Yeah, as hard as we try. (laughs) Oh, man. I just finished that that book I was talking about. And it it was literally all about like, why fish don't exist was the book. Mm. And it talked about like fish as a clade. And it didn't make any sense. And it was wonderful. It was a good book. Anyway. Yeah, that's so cool. (laughs) Well, before we end off the episode, I just wanted to ask if there is any dino drama because I feel like usually there is. <laughs> there usually is and I couldn't I couldn't find anything particularly juicy. I'm sorry. But our old grumpy pal Edward Drinker Cope did name the first Dimetrodon in the 1870s. So the first described specimen of Dimetrodon was like missing a lot of its tail. So he drew it in those early days as having like a very tiny stubby tail. And also Cope initially thought that the sail on Dimetrodon's back was used for swimming, kind of like how we think of Spinosaurus today. But yeah, it was it was old Cope causing yeah. trouble. <laughs> that guy pops up everywhere. <laughs> he really does. He was like just nutty, nutty dude. <laughs> And then you also mentioned that many of the early synapsids like Dimetrodon disappeared by the time of the dinosaurs. Why was that? Yeah, so approximately 251 million years ago was an event called the Great Dying. It's very dramatic. And as you can expect, it was like a very devastating event for life on Earth. This this was the Permian-Triassic extinction. It killed off like 90% of the Earth's species It was also notably probably the most devastating extinction for the world's insects, which I think is really interesting. So I need to read more on that. I bet that that we could rival that today. Just wait. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) Are we in the the second grade? Manifest good thoughts for this year. (laughs) Um, so, So what caused this big extinction? Yeah, it was like probably volcanic activity that just dumped a huge amount of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and dramatically altered the climate and the oceans. Uh, Like you said, basically what we're seeing now, like on a super intense scale. So killed like everything. Very, very few stem mammals made it through this event. Dinosaurs eventually became the dominant terrestrial animals after this extinction. And those like little stem mammals, they took a backseat to quietly do their thing while the dinosaurs like shook up the world. But yeah, so they sort of bided their time and eventually today's mammals are arguably the most dominant life group on the planet. So, you know, they made it. They survived. It was a little hard, (laughs) but they did it. We can do it. We can do (laughs) it. Very inspirational. Very inspirational. They made it through. Not the Dimetrodon, but, you know, it's cousins. It's cousins did it. 
Nice. So yeah, in conclusion, Blathers doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to Dimetrodon. Dimetrodon was not a reptile. They likely did not use their sail for temperature control. And they were probably not fully cold-blooded. And another important takeaway is that PEI now not only can market itself as the hallowed home of Anne of Green Gables, but also as the prehistoric home of the non-fictional Dimetrodon. So congrats, PEI. (laughs) You should like make that a thing you should have plays and like historical sites all about dimetrodon as well as anne of green gables i love that i i wonder how many of our like international listeners even know who anne of green gables is Is that like Like, a really just canadian thing i I mean maybe americans but like when i was in scotland i remember we were doing some kind of like role-playing game and I pretended to be Anne of Green Gables, like, as a joke, but no one thought it was very funny because, like, (laughs) they were just like, why is she pretending to be, like, a redheaded orphan girl? (laughs) Oh, man. Who's not Annie, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I don't know. I feel like there's so many adaptations of it everywhere that I just assumed it was, like, in the cultural knowledge. But it's weird that in Scotland, like, I feel like they would know it in Scotland. Yeah, right? Okay. Well, Well, that's just a reference no one will get except for the Canadians. This one's for you. (laughs) If you haven't, like, read Anne of Green Gables or, like, watched it, you know, go go do that. That's the the big takeaway. Yeah, exactly. Dimetrodon facts and also go read Anne of Green Gables. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. It was fun to get back into the prehistoric world. And yeah, thank you everyone so much for listening. Don't forget to check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at beyond blathers, especially if you want to see those weird like Dimetrodon human like footprints on the ground. We'll post that. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye. Bye.